You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. So I have a little film festival every year in Seattle. It's called Hump. It is the Pacific Northwest's Biggest, oldest, and only amateur and locally and not so locally produced porn festival. And what it is is people make five-minute max length pornos or erotic films. It can be animation. They can be hardcore porn. They can be softcore porn. They can be erotica. And they submit them to Hump and then we put together a program uh, of the best of the submissions and then the audience votes and there are cash prizes including a $5,000 grand prize for best in show uh, all awarded by the audience. And – I, it's you know, you know I have to talk up Hump because I want people to submit every year. And what's crazy about Hump and what I love about Hump is it's a porn festival that I think even people who hate porn can tap into. It becomes this celebration of sexual diversity because what's really amazing about Hump is you know gay people make porn and kinky people make porn and straight people make their porn and lesbians make their porn. Uh, we've had trans porn at Hump for a couple of years running now and everybody just – shows their thing, shares their kink, their turn on, what works for them, what what they want to see on the screen, the kind of porn that they enjoy. But then everybody in the audience is all over the map. You know, Nobody watches porn like that. Nobody watches porn in movie theaters. Nobody watches porn that isn't exactly the porn that they want to watch or that they might choose for themselves. And what happens at Hump is, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of people at every screening and most of the people are watching something that they would never in a million years click on on Xtube if they were just dinking around looking at porn on their laptop at home. You sit there. I sit there. Me, that's average. I sit there and I watch lesbian porn. I sit there and I watch straight porn. I don't watch straight porn or lesbian porn in my regular life. But at Hump, I do. And I see the like turn on. I see the fun. I see the humanity. And everybody cheers for everybody's kinks and everybody's differences. And Hump is really – even if you hate porn, Hump is really this kind of magical, transcendent celebration of sex. But Hump can't happen if people don't Hump. Hump happens because people make porn. And I want to encourage people, Savage Love listeners, particularly to go to HumpSeattle.com where you'll find out how to make porn and how to enter Hump. The deadline for submissions for Hump this year is October 5th. If you want to get some friends together and start thinking about making a porno for Hump, there are four prize categories. Best humor, the funniest video. Best sex, the video that you know, which is a category for videos that actually have sex in them. Best kink, which is the best kinky video, and best in show. And the audience votes in each category and one video could win an award in more than one category. If you do something that's funny, sex, kinky, and everyone loves it the most, you can actually run the table and win the $5,000 grand prize and the $1,000 first prize for kink, sex, and humor and win $8,000 doing hump. The other thing we'd like to say about hump is it is the porn festival that allows you to be a porn star for the weekend not the rest of your life. We do these screenings in theaters. Everyone has to put their cell phones away. We have bouncers who watch the audience, not the show, and make sure that nobody is surreptitiously filming. The films are not released. We don't put out any compilations. There's no DVDs. Nothing is put online or put on the internet. So people who have participated in Hump, uh, they don't have to think that their grandkids are one day going to see their tits online uh, on a porn site because 
You just show your film at Hump. And after the last screening, we take the master tapes down to the stage and we destroy them. And we retain no copies. All copies are returned to the filmmakers or destroyed at the end of the last screening. Uh, we've never had a leak. We've been doing this for seven or eight years now. We've never had anything leak online. There are some Hump films that are actually out there. They were released by the filmmakers uh, that wanted to share them. Uh, but we've released no films. One of the winning filmmakers last year, uh, winning in the humor category, $1,000 grand prize, released their video on YouTube and you can go watch it there to see what a winning hump video might look like. Go to YouTube and search Mythical Proportions and you will find a very hilarious, kind of erotic, dirty animation-based uh, piece about women who like to sleep with centaurs or fantasize about centaurs. And it's great and it won uh, – First prize last year in humor. So making films for Hump, they don't necessarily have to have sex in them. We like the ones with sex. That's why there's a sex category. Uh, sex category films tend to win the grand prize. Uh, and you can make a film for Hump and only have it show at Hump and never think about it going elsewhere. Photos being released through the video getting out there because we do everything we can to make sure that that doesn't happen. Hump lets you be a porn star for the weekend, not the rest of your life. Again, for details about how to make a film for Hump or enter Hump, Go to humpseattle.com. Your call's after this. This podcast is brought to you by audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I am a 24-year-old bisexual female, um, and I'm calling because uh, lately I – well, in the past couple years, I've realized that I am a cuck queen um, or a woman who gets off um, imagining – herself being cheated on by her partner. Um, this would be fine, but this fetish makes me really, really sad. And it's the only thing that gets me off right now. And I'm kind of wondering how to come to terms with this and accept it so that I can um, get off without feeling sad. So thanks for jumping on the phone. We understand you're alone in your car. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a little noisy, but here we go. Um, you say that cuck queening, the fantasizing about being cheated on by your male partner, is the only thing that gets you off. Do you have a male partner? Pretty part much. Do you have a male partner yeah, right now? I do. Does he know about uh, that? He knows about it, but he doesn't real. I don't think he realizes that. Like, um, the I don't think he realizes the extent to which it, it to which it turns me on. When you're having sex with him, do you fantasize about yeah. this out loud or do you fantasize about it in between your ears and then that gets that's what makes the sex go uh, for you? Definitely in between my ears. And Although I try I, the other I just try not to though cuz I feel bad. <laughs> that never works. It's like don't think about a banana. I know. Don't think about an I elephant. Know. You, you can't Seriously. You can't wipe it out. You can't wish it away. Um, and, and are you sad because the fantasy itself makes you sad because thinking about the reality of your partner having sex with someone else makes you sad? Or are you sad in part because you've set for yourself this unachievable goal of obliterating or wiping out or running away from this fantasy and you're never going to be able to do it? And so every time you have sex, you fail at that. You fail at fleeing from your fantasy. Um, it's 
the first one because I just I don't like the fantasy in the first place. Okay, so we usually when someone has a fantasy, it, it, it symbolizes something else, uh, and right. you know this this specific kind of fantasy scenario has attached itself to some other sexual or relationship dynamic that you know is the at the root of it that is the turn on and you know it's difficult people don't have an easy time switching fantasies and fetishes and kinks unless it's some sort of script that is about something else that is about you know is about fleshing out uh, a, a, a relationship or emotional or sexual dynamic and if you can identify mm-hmm. that dynamic you can perhaps write a new script right the script okay. that your erotic imagination has written for you right now is him cheating on you right right yeah and what that at bottom is you know about that's about your being taken for granted that's about your being used that's about your partner having more erotic control and power over you than you do over him there's all sorts of Mm -hmm. alternate scripts you could write that explore those sorts of dynamics yeah I think that before you can begin to write those scripts, before you can move on past the one that already dominates your erotic imagination, you're going to have to stop fighting this one. Okay. And that means loving and accepting that this is a fantasy that that you have. That doesn't mean it has Uh to be realized. Not all fantasies have to be realized. There are lots of people out there who have fantasies that cannot be realized for logistical or ethical purpose reasons. People out there who fantasize about centaurs, there are no centaurs that are going to kick in their bedroom doors (laughs) and horse fuck them, right? Or half horse fuck them. And so you could, I I think what you do is you open up to your partner, and and part of the fear in opening up to your partner is probably that you don't want him to feel that he has your permission to run out and fuck other people, right? Right, and he also really doesn't want to. So I don't want him to think that, like, for me to... um, for for me to like be happy in a relationship, like we have to not be monogamous because and, and you should we're both s- monogamous. You should say all that to him. You should say and all I that have to him. To, yeah. And what does he I say? I said all that to him. He said okay, but I don't know if I just don't want to talk about it too much because then I'm afraid that he's going to think that I'm saying it all the time because um, yeah, I'm trying to convince myself. Right. So, and you should say yeah. all of this to him as well. And I think what you should do is you should declare like we're going to have two months where we dirty talk the shit out of this, where we run it, okay. where we just run it to death. Because what you've done is you've tried to keep it to a minimum, and suppressing the fa- sexual fantasies never works. Mm-hmm. You know, you've tried to keep it to a minimum, and uh, you know, you know, wean yourself from it by starving yourself of it, and it hasn't worked. And so, I think what you should do for uh, like two months is just gorge on it. That every time you have sex, you should dirty talk this scenario until you're bored. Okay. With it, and then maybe after you're bored with it, your erotic imagination will float a bit and start writing a new script. And I, I really think that you should focus on him with about what this cuck-queening fantasy means, what it symbolizes at bottom. Isn't a desire for him to cheat? Isn't a desire to be cuck-queened? It is a desire to be in his thrall, for him to be more sexually powerful and have more license and leeway and control than you do. Yeah. And there may be other ways for you to incorporate that erotic dynamic into your relationship that can replace or supplant your cut mm-hmm. cleaning thing, which makes both of you a little uncomfortable. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It, and when I try to go, when I went online to look for 
like help with this. It, it was just whenever I looked for cuck queen, it was all people who are like totally into being cuck queened and they're like, go for it. Um, it. And nothing like in the middle, like how people like in how people engage in this kind of play without like your boy, your partner going out and getting another girlfriend. So it kind of threw me off a little bit. Because you're not, either you're never going to be ready or you're not ready right now to do this. I don't know. I think maybe in 10 years I might have a different outlook on on my sexuality, but I think that right now I'm, I'm not ready how, to do anything of this, anything like this at all. How long have you been with your boyfriend? A few months. Okay, yeah, a few months in, this sort of thing can seem scary to yeah. him, scary to you. Most yeah. of the people I know who have gotten involved in cuckolding, I don't know anybody who personally that's gotten into cuck queening. The people I know who've, you know, explored cuckolding are, you know, I have one friend who is a cuckold. It it didn't they weren't able to really go there until they'd been together ten years, roughly. Exactly. Until they were so yeah. committed, so certain, so sure of the the, sol- the solidity of the relationship that then they could incorporate you know, a very special guest star to help bring to life a fantasy scenario that, you know, at the beginning of the relationship would have been hugely uh, destabilizing and and, and dangerous. Yeah. But 10 years right. in, really committed, living together, everything solid, bringing in this person to be an actor in a drama that turns them both on, and then that person goes away, not so threatening. Right now, two yeah. months into your relationship with your boyfriend, I can understand why he'd yeah. be a little threatened by this fantasy well, scenario. Or with anyone. I mean, I can't think of anyone who I... And I've been in relationships for that lasted, like, that lasted longer than a few months that I can't think of, like, having been able to do that then either. And I think it's partly because it just, like... Sometimes I... After I, like, have this fantasy, I cry. Oh. <laughs> so... Why? What, what goes through, wait, what goes through your head when you cry? Well, I'm like, why can't I, why can't I, um, indulge myself sexually where, like, somebody actually cares about me? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, that's, and, and that, I think that's the bigger problem than, like, like, the, the partner dynamic, because I've never, he's the first person I've even told about this. So, it's, it's like, the, it's the masturbation aspect and, like, sometimes I'm okay with it, and sometimes I'm like, this well, is ridiculous. You know, you need to think a little differently, so I, I think about your fantasy, because cuck-queening and being cuckolded, that doesn't work unless the person who is cuckolding you or cuck-queening you cares about you. Unless you have a relationship, right. you know, the, the, the dynamic, uh, the infidelity, mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's grist for your fantasy mill because this person who cares about you is doing this to you. So you shouldn't define Mm -hmm. having this fantasy as evidence that you can't connect with somebody or that your fantasies have nothing to do with caring and nothing to do with love and commitment. A cuckold fantasy absent love and commitment is unrealizable. Mm -hmm. It can only be realized in the context of love and commitment, right? Because what's being transgressed at that moment is, you know, standard kind of notions about what love and commitment should mean. That's being transgressed, right. but the love and commitment has to be there. Right. Or nothing's being transgressed. That, and there's no erotic sort of tension to be exploited. Mm-hmm. 
So don't like yeah. define your fantasy as, oh, this can't be about love. Any more than somebody who's into being spanked or tied up should look at that and go, oh, why can't my fantasies be about love? It's about love, but a little different than most people would express it. Yeah. But it's still about love. That's true. And your cuckleening thing at its root is about love because what you want is somebody who loves you to do this with and for you, not to you, with and for you someday when you're secure enough. And I think maybe if you (laughs) give yourself permission to define this fantasy as something that you will explore someday in the future in a long-term committed relationship with somebody who loves and trusts you and has shared his fantasies with you and you've shared yours with him and that it won't seem so threatening. And right now you should just say this is masturbation fodder. Okay. You know? Yeah. But you should be open about it with your partners. Like I, you know, I've always fantasized about this, but it's nothing I have any interest in doing until I'm in a long-term committed relationship with somebody I love and trust and then it comes from a place right. of love. Right. If it, if it gets there. Yeah. And it'll get <laughs> there. It'll get there. It'll okay. get there. Give yourself a break. Stop crying about your fantasies. One day okay. your this fantasy of yours, one day you will realize it with somebody you love and trust. And the orgasms will be amazing. And you will look at this fantasy and say, thank God we have this because it's brought so much richness and texture to our sexual life and to our connection. And it's given us something to play with and toy with and a a way to explore and have fun and have sexual adventures together. Right now it seems threatening because right now it can like spook a guy. Right now it can screw up a a potential new relationship. (laughs) 10 years, 15, 20 years in the future, it'll be something that enhances the relationship that you're in. If you okay. can find the right guy to explore it with, right? And I don't, and and I don't have to like necessarily like jump from that from being like I want to try this to let's like go online and like find no. someone to do this with. No, okay, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Like I said, a cuckolding or cuckweening fantasy has to exist in the context of a loving committed relationship right two months in no five years in yeah 10 years in well that's what i mean well that's what i mean like but in but then there's there's other levels of that too right like there's like and you know what you can worry you can worry about that when you get to dirty talking sure dirty talking sure i think you should go for it but i also like i said at the very beginning of the call in addition to dirty talking, the cuck cleaning shit that turns you on, I think you should write some new erotic scripts. You should think about other ways in which you can explore this kind of, you know, subservience, really. This kind mm-hmm. of, like, giving your partner more erotic control and more erotic power than you have and that you're allowed right. to have. And that kind of power imbalance is really about power exchange. And there are other scripts right. out there for power exchange. That you should look yeah. into and explore. God forbid I should say you should go read Fifty Shades of Grey because I don't think you should. There's other no, porn out there no. that explores <laughs> that explores power imbalances, erotic and consensual within a relationship. And right now your erotic imagination has latched on to cuck cleaning. And I think if you expose yourself to other scripts, you may find others just as arousing. Awesome. All right? Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Don't talk and drive. It's dangerous. Okay, bye. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is In the Garden of Beasts, Love, Terror, and an American Family in Hitler's Berlin by Eric 
Larson. It is a terrific read. It is narrated by Stephen Hoy. Eric Larson, of course, is the author of The Devil in the White City, also a terrific book, also available at audible.com. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. My name is Susan, and I'm a long-time listener. And I think I might have won Boyfriend Lottery, but I'm very concerned that I'm not sure how to proceed. Uh, the man is, uh, I believe the man is a cuckold fetish, and he wants me to uh, tell him all about my current fuck buddy, and he wants to watch me and my current fuck, fuck, fuck buddy so that, um, yeah... I'm really nervous about this, and I thought that you could uh, you could guide me. Uh, the thing that makes me really nervous is the new man does not want me to tell my fuck bunny that he's hiding in the closet watching us get it on. Um, anyway, I need some more negotiating. It's hard to negotiate with someone who wants you to be mean to them. You can't do that to the person. You can't do that to your fuck buddy. You can do that to your boyfriend. In fact, I think you should do that to your boyfriend. What your boyfriend has asked you to do is dupe your fuck buddy. And I think you should double cross your boyfriend by saying to your fuck buddy, my boyfriend has a cuckolding fantasy. He wants me to cheat on him. He wants to watch, but he doesn't want the guy to know that he's watching. He wants to watch from the closet. So how do you feel about pretending that you don't know my boyfriend is in the closet watching? And then the person who's being fooled is the person who asked you to go out there and fool someone. I still think it's wrong. I don't think you should do it, but that's the only ethical way, sort of, kind of ethical, you could do this. Don't fool the person that your cuckolding fetishist boyfriend has asked you to fool. Fool your cuckolding fetishist boyfriend. Trick him into believing that the guy that who is fucking you doesn't know he's in the closet because the guy is pretending he doesn't know, but he does because you told him and got his consent. Uh, somebody in a scenario like that has to consent to it too. You know, my best advice for you would be to go to your boyfriend, your cuckold fetish boyfriend, and say, no fucking way. I'm not going to do this. What if he realizes you're in the closet halfway through and freaks the fuck out? I'm the one who's right there. I'm the one within slapping, punching, hitting, freaking out rage range. You are in the closet, not within ra immediate freak out rage range. So uh, not fair to you, not fair to this guy. So, you know, in the best of all possible worlds, you'd go to your boyfriend and say, nah, -uh, I'm going to tell him. We can all pretend that he doesn't know you're in there as part of the fantasy scenario. Uh, but I'm not going to lie to my fuck buddy because I'm not that kind of girl. I'm the kind of girl who cheat on your ass and cuckold you, but I'm not the kind of girl who lie to my fuck buddy about it. That's what I think you should tell him. But I do think, you know, you and the fuck buddy fooling the boyfriend who wanted to fool the fuck buddy, I think that's – you know, in love and war, that little tiny sliver of deceit would be permissible. That's the only way uh, you could do this with deceit involved at all. You can't do it fooling your fuck buddy. It wouldn't be fair to your fuck buddy. But fooling the person who asked you to fool someone, that's always fair. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift 
and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I am a 22-year-old woman who needs help establishing boundaries with my boyfriend's family who believe that anyone who is not a devout Christian is going to hell. My boyfriend's father sent letters to him while we were in college saying that if he didn't try to save my soul, he obviously didn't really love me. I finally met his parents earlier this year. They were very kind to me, taking me around town and cooking me meals, but I still had to go to their scary tongue-speaking Pentecostal church. Later that day, while my boyfriend himself was busy playing video games with his brothers, his father sat me down to lecture me. He had clearly been planning this speech for a long time, and he explained to me that some people who did consider themselves Christians were going to hell, too, because they didn't have a close enough relationship with Christ. He said I was like a student who kept refusing to learn, but I couldn't change the fundamental truth that God was God. After failing to end this lecture with logical arguments, like stares, or half-hearted compromises, I passed my back and ended the visit. When I visited next, his grandpa even said that he would talk to Congress to make a tax for atheists until they got religion so that people like me could be saved. Now, my boyfriend and I have been together for four and a half years, and he himself is wonderful. We have great sex, and he stayed with me through a traumatic rape, my subsequent mental collapse and recovery, and extended periods of long-distance dating. I just moved across the country to live with him in his apartment, and we are happy here. He is currently unsure about where he stands on religion, but he never pressures me to change mine. I know I'm too young to get married, but I do want to marry my boyfriend one day. If his father and the rest of his family do become my extended family, how can I deal with them? Is it my boyfriend's job to tell them to back off? I want to tell them that I would rather go to hell than spend eternity with a God who damns people that don't worship him, but somehow I think that makes things worse. Please help. I love you and your show. It's your boyfriend's job to run interference uh, for you with his family. The end. Short answer, he has to step up. He has to tell his father and his grandfather and everybody else that you were polite enough to hear them out. You sat for these bullshit lectures and that's enough and you're done. And badgering you isn't going to bring you to Christ. If anything, it's going to drive you away. You've heard it. You know. You know how they feel. You've listened the end. And if they can't respect you, don't hang out with them. And if he can't stand up for you to his fucking family, I wouldn't marry the guy. The end. Hey, Dan. My name's Mike. I'm uh, 37 from California. Um, I've been married six years now, and um, my wife has absolutely no interest in sex whatsoever. She is just, she's not in the mood. We have we have one child, and I know after one child, you know, the sex drive does diminish, but she's got zero sex drive. And when I do ask her, just, I'm not, I, I, I don't, I'm not pushy about it. I just ask a question like, asking a question if she wants milk. Do you want to have a little alone time? Do you want to get together right now? And she makes it turn out to where I'm being very pushy. I treat her like she's just a piece of meat, and uh, that's all I want. Obviously, that's not all I want, um, but it makes me feel like 
Um, when she wants the second child, that's all she's going to want from me, and all I am in it is a piece of meat. And when I do tell her that's how she makes me feel, things aren't right. And obviously, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm, I'm not going not gonna to go cheat on her, find anybody else. Um, I'm in this marriage with her. I'm committed to her. But at the same time, I don't know what to do anymore. Um, I can only masturbate so much. I don't know what to tell you. You don't want to cheat. Uh, I don't think people should cheat. Uh, you don't want to press the issue. This is really kind of a sexual stalemate and you, you guys are really playing chicken. And what's at stake here and what's going to get destroyed if you keep playing this game is your marriage because eventually you're going to crack and cheat on her and then you get to be the bad guy. Uh, and everyone will see you as the bad guy because the fact that you weren't having sex with her or she wasn't having sex with you isn't going to factor into anyone's equation because sex is something that's unimportant compared to family and commitment and marriage and children and you risked all of that just for an orgasm with somebody else. No one will factor into their judgment of you, how long you waited, how much you endured, how much rejection uh, you endured over how long a period of time before you acted out and sought somebody else. You know, if I were in your shoes, I would already be getting a divorce. I would have already initiated uh, divorce proceedings. If I were in your shoes, I would have at least said, uh, you know, if you don't want to have sex, I don't want you to have sex. If you don't want to have sex, I don't want to, you know, I'm certainly not going to enjoy sex with you if you're just doing it uh, to shut me the fuck up. But sex is something that I'm going to have with someone if I'm not having it with you. And I would throw that on the table and see how that landed. If you're not willing to play that card, then you're really stuck with where you're at right now, which is this frustrating impasse. There is nothing I can say that you can repeat to the wife that is going to make her want to fuck you. Either she has no libido, maybe she needs to see the doctor, uh, she isn't attracted to you, you have a young child and she's so exhausted. Uh, perhaps she's resentful because you are not helping or not doing enough, which is, of course, what everybody always goes to first in a situation like this. You could talk about all that shit with a counselor. But if she doesn't regard this not fucking thing as a big enough problem to work on, to go to a doctor, to go see a counselor, to talk, to you know negotiate with you, to come to terms, to repair your relationship so that she does want to fuck you again, there's really nothing you can do except either walk or stay and cheat. But not cheat. Stay and do what you like with others. You know, I don't think it's cheating if somebody has abandoned you sexually for you to get your needs met elsewhere. If someone thinks sex is so unimportant and they're not interested in sex and they have no desire to have sex with you, I think that frees you from any obligation to only have sex with them. I think you need to make that explicit though with the wife. We can have a companionate marriage. I will love you. We will care for each other. We will be great friends, great partners, and great parents together. But if we're not going to be sex partners, that is not going to be part of this marriage, then those are needs that perhaps I should be allowed to meet to get met elsewhere because I won't be able to be that great parent, great partner, great friend if I am stewing in sexual frustration and resentment. It's the frustration and resentment that will destroy the marriage. Allow me to take care of that frustration and that resentment by getting my needs met elsewhere, by being able to look at you and not see the reason I never get to have sex ever again in my whole life is you. I get to have sex, just not with you. And now I can love you. Now we can be friends and partners and parents together. If you can come to that sort of agreement with the wife, those sorts of terms. And I don't understand why she wouldn't want to release you in that way. If she is not physically attracted to you, if she is not interested in sex at all, period, ever, with you or anyone else, 
Why not let you do this thing she does not want to do with others? That's the kind of conversation that you need to have with her. And it is a dangerous conversation. It is a conversation that could lead to divorce. But the non-conversation you're having with your wife right now will also lead to divorce. So might as well have the one that could save the marriage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 33-year-old married woman. I've been married for eight years to my husband. Before we were married, we had a bit, we had a very short engagement. He had tried to tell me that he liked to wear diapers. Um, we were just like discussing strange things that we had done. So when he told me this about the diapers, um, I had a, I get a mild freak out. I don't think I really freaked out, but I had a reaction that he then said, um, you know, he no longer did it because, of course, like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, whoa, Jerry Springer, you know, I'm picturing these big, hairy guys in diapers, not that my husband's hairy, but anyway. So fast forward to three years later, after we were married, he tells me again that he's, you know, back into this and he explains more. I'm still thinking at that point that it's like a sexual thing, but he explained to me that it's not, that it's um, um, it's more of like a regressive thing, that he um, he didn't really have a childhood. His mom was sick. His dad was very involved with other things and didn't really have any interest in him and was even sort of a bully to him. And, um, you know, he wasn't allowed to, um, he wasn't allowed to believe in Santa Claus at Easter Bunny, and he was also molested when he was about six or seven. And that's when he started, um, doing baby things to make him feel less stressed, um, make him feel loved and everything. It's, it's not a sexual thing for him. He tried to give it up a couple times, but he would go back to it. It's just like this deep-seated thing that he has. So, you know, this went on, you know, the back and forth went on for a couple of years. And then um, he needed, he, a big part of him needs a mommy. And he wanted me to be his mommy, which was a really hard thing for me. Um, you know, how do I treat my husband like a baby and then want to have sex with him? And um, so anyway, we went back and forth with this and I, you know, I gave, tried to be that mommy figure to him, but I really couldn't. And um, a few months ago, we got into an argument about it and um, how I just, I don't do that for him and he really needs it. So I finally said, okay, well, you can find somebody else um, to do it. Well, actually, I should back up a little bit. We started going to counseling about a year ago. Um, and the counselor pushed him to get more involved in this community, adult baby community. Um, so he's, for the last year or so, he's been very involved. So a little while ago, I told him that he could find um, someone else to be a mommy, which he did right away. I think he may have sort of had, he had this connection with this woman in the community. So... I sat back and it was like I was watching him develop this relationship with this woman. Even though I know it's not sexual at all, it still was like I was being cheated on. And it was like all this just hit me. And I just came to this reality that 
this is not something I want in my life. I'm not happy with it in my life. Um, you know, and his excitement over his new mommy, or that's just been really hard. So we're actually separated right now. But I'm at this point where it's like, I love all these other things about him. Do I, like, get over that and go back and just deal with it? Or do I move on because I know that this is not what I want for my life, for the rest of my life, and there's no way that he's giving it up. This isn't something that he does. This is just something of who he is. Quick programming note. Uh, you say that your husband, you know, can – conceives of his thing for diapers as stemming from the neglect and the bullying and the, the abuse and the molestation that he suffered when he was a child. And I'm just going to throw it out there that there are a lot of people in the adult baby community who were not neglected, were not bullied, were not abused, were not molested, who are into it. So it may be causal. It may not be causal. It could just be how he understands it and how he frames it. It could be what it does for him actually. Uh, but people shouldn't assume that all adult babies – were neglected, abused, molested, and this is somehow – this is why they wound up um, being into diapers. I hear you. I hear your pain. Um, this is a really tough situation. Uh, Prudy, who writes a column at Slate, advice column at Slate, introduced a concept um, over there a couple of weeks ago. Somebody wrote in because she had this relationship with her husband uh, where he didn't reveal to her until after they were already married and had a small child that he was a cross-dresser. This was 30 years ago when it was a lot harder for men to admit this than it is now. But he withheld this information, didn't disclose. Their children are growing her out of the house and he started you know, upping it a little bit, starting to want to cross-dress, forcing the issue. Um, and she's not into it and is very upset and is trying to figure out whether she should stay or go. And Prudy gives her some advice about how uh, this woman needs to uh, – you know, 30 years ago, she made the choice to stay for the children. Now she has to make the choice of whether she's going to stay with this man for the grandchildren and they need to talk, her and her husband. And then Prudy added, your letter is eloquent counter-testimony to those who say loving partners should try to accommodate each other's sexual kinks. Sure, that's ideal. But it's simply a fact that the partner without the fetish might find the others a libido killer, as in your case. You know, that's obviously a slap at me. Who are those who say loving partners should try to accommodate each other's kinks? Uh, basically me. I'm the only one out there who doesn't regard or doesn't tell people that their partner having a kink is grounds for divorce or breaking up or should always be a deal breaker. Uh, I've, you know, advanced the whole GGG concept that we should be good. Uh, good and bad, have some skills, giving of pleasure and game, kind of game for anything within reason. Don't do things that leave you folded up in the fetal position on the floor, sobbing after they're done, but don't reject things out of hand. Sometimes people freak out when they find out their partner has a kink. Uh, they just don't think about it. They just say no. They sort of impulsively, you know, sex negatively reject them. And as I wrote in response to Prudy, You'll meet two kinds of people at BDSM clubs, uh, fetish shops and lurking on fat life, even in adult baby communities. You will meet people who were always kinky and so are there and you'll meet people who fell in love with someone who was kinky, didn't dump the kinky partner after they disclosed their kinks and somehow grew to love their kinky partner's kinks just as much as they love their kinky partners. So don't – we shouldn't tell people just to dump people who have kinks. Now – the reason I'm bringing up the whole Prudy column is that phrase that Prudy used I thought was really apt, libido killer. There are some kinks that for the non-kinky partner just aren't you know, strange or new or uh, a bit of a challenge or something they have to get used to. They are libido killers. They are just a place that that person 
can't go, can't get, however much they love their partner. And it sounds like you love your partner very much, your husband. If you didn't love him, if he didn't have all these other good qualities, you wouldn't be in this place where you're debating what to do about this situation. Uh, you know, should you divorce him? You're separated right now because of the adult baby thing. But you married him and you love him. So what can you do? But you, you feel like when he plays with his mother – uh, and for the record, the adult baby thing goobs me out. But he plays with his mother uh, and you feel as if you are being cheated on. There's the solution. There's the the lock that if you can pick this lock, you can save your marriage. If you can't, then you're going to have to accept that this is a libido killer, your husband's interest in adult baby play. And if you can't get there, if you can't pick this lock, then you may have to end this marriage because it will be unsalvageable. And the lock is the, – the thing you need to break through is this, this idea that when he does this adult baby play that doesn't involve sexual contact with another woman that you are being cheated on. If you can come to view this adult baby play with others as a release for him, as kind of what he describes it as for himself, as this comfort, this kind of experience of intimacy and, and being cared for that he never got in childhood, that he's getting now as an adult – and if you can regard it as non-sexual, although intimate, even erotic play with others and you can give him permission to do it with others and not view it as being cheated on, really you're being relieved of, not cheated on, relieved of. You don't have to do this with and for him because this other person or these other people or this community can meet this need of your husband's that you can't and that you have no desire to meet. And if you can give him License to get that need met elsewhere. You can keep him. You can save your marriage. You can stay married to him. If you can't, you can't. So, you know, I've known guys who are in the bondage scene and, you know, they have a husband at home, a boyfriend at home who is not into it at all, but they're allowed to run off and, you know, go to the big kink parties and get tied up. But that's it. They just go out there, they get that need met, and it almost becomes kind of like bowling. You know, I have my husband's not into bowling. I'm in a bowling league. He's not on my bowling league. And I don't make him go bowling with me because he hates bowling. Yes, it's erotic. And, and, and there's this cultural hang up that, you know, your husband isn't allowed to do anything sexual with anyone else ever, or you're being cheated on. The culture has told you that. And you've accepted it. And what the culture told you and what you've accepted is going to destroy your marriage, is going to lead to divorce. The way to save your marriage is to reject what the culture told you, that you're, this idea that your husband can't be or do anything erotic or sexual with anyone else without you being deprived of something or cheated on somehow. Reject that and decide that your husband can do this with your permission, with your consent, with others. Get this need met. You're not being cheated on. You're being relieved of and it will contribute to the health and stability of your marriage because you don't have to do it. You don't want to do it. And he gets to do it and it's something that he is going to do, that he must do, that he has to do to be fulfilled, to be sane, to not resent you, to not hate his wife, to not cheat on his wife. If you can pick that lock, if you can get there, if you can regard your husband's diaper play with others the way my good friend regards his boyfriend's bondage bowling club shit with others, he's off at his bowling league. It's bowling night for him. He's gone. You could have a wonderful relationship. You could have a wonderful marriage. It can survive and thrive over the long term. All these good qualities that your husband has, all, everything else he brings to the table that you enjoy and value and would miss, you can have if you can let him do that with other people. If you can change the way you regard it, change the way you think about it, if you can reject what the culture has told you 
about a long-term committed relationship. And the culture has told you that in a long-term committed relationship, all needs are met inside. There are some long-term committed successful relationships out there where a particular need is met outside, where that need is outsourced and it strengthens that marriage. We don't hear about these marriages. We don't hear about marriages where the wife says to the husband, okay, you're into S&M. Go see a dominatrix once every three or four or five or six months. And, I, and you, that's fine. You have my blessing. Blah, I don't want to do it. You go do it. We don't hear about these marriages. People don't tell us. People who have those kinds of arrangements with their spouses don't admit it because of that cultural bias that is destroying your marriage, that cultural bias, that, that those cultural norms that you have internalized. You can uninternalize them. You can walk away from them and keep your husband. Hey, Dan. Uh, I am a 27-year-old woman, and I just listened to Podcast 300 um, while jogging, actually. And I had uh, I wanted to add a word of support for just getting some exercise for women who's having the body image issues. I recently went through a state of very similar feelings. It was really bad, and I was really down on myself, and I'm a very normal size. And I just decided to start jogging a little bit every morning and it's slow and I'm not losing weight, but I feel a hundred times better. So um, just, a, just a word of support from the wide world of listeners for just get a little exercise and it might help uh, to attack whatever other larger problems may be looming. Hi, Dan. I was just listening to last week's podcast and I uh, wanted to express some concern about the girl who uh, is in college and is very close with her father and whose mother is suggesting that they might have an incestuous relationship. While that is totally uh, out of line for her mom to say that to her directly, there is something called emotional incest, and it is a real thing that happens within families, and it's very damaging. You know, it sounds like her father might be using her as a replacement uh, for her mom in a lot of ways, um, emotionally. And that can be really damaging for a child, um, even an adult child. And like you said, um, her boundaries seem weird and uh, not normal. Um, she could be being manipulated by her dad. She should know that emotional incest is a thing, and uh, maybe it's something she should be aware of. So down the line, if she's ever feeling uh, manipulated um, or hurt by her father, um, she can go to a therapist with that and maybe get some help. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling about the gentleman in episode 300 who was tirelessly making up reasons why his girlfriend could cheat on him and lie to him and generally treat him like shit. And I think you were very sensitive and patient, kind of explaining to him that he should take his own side in his argument and that to some extent he is allowed, you know, despite the historical oppression of women and unfair treatment of, of women in relationships, to perhaps... Uh, have some rights and have some boundaries. Um, I just want to add this. I'm pretty sure that she is waiting for this guy to have some backbone. I, I, I don't think that it necessarily flies in the face of, of, of social justice to say that if he acts like he wants to keep her or if her fidelity, which is just a proxy for her as a person in this case, matters to him at all, then she might feel a little bit more important to him, and the relationship might be more functional. He's, he's, he's acting like this whole relationship for him is an exercise in trying to be as absolutely inoffensive as possible, and in a weird roundabout way, that's really selfish of him. He needs to go out on a limb and risk sounding like a jerk for five seconds and say, please don't do that. You matter to me. 
I'm putting my foot down. But instead, it seems like he is so fascinated with his own sensitivity that he won't just pony up and admit that it may not be politically correct, but in some ways he, he feels possessiveness over his girlfriend, a possessiveness that he can control, but nevertheless, a possessiveness that, that is going to make her feel, no matter how liberated and educated both of them are, as though she matters. So she's screwed up a little bit, yeah, but I think she's waiting for him to, to, to be a normal human being who treats her like a normal human being. So this is a message to him. Get over yourself. And we're going to leave it there. But quickly, you know that adult baby question we had in this show? Really long question. And my answer? Even longer answer. So we've decided to, again, uh, do a one-minute wonder show where you record a question less than a minute and I will record an answer less than a minute and we will bang through uh, two or three dozen calls in a regular show as opposed to uh, six or seven. So if you have a question that you can ask in a minute, call 206-201-2720, record that question, and I will do an upcoming show where I answer all those one-minute questions in one minute or less, which is hard for me. It is hard for me. I go on and on. I like to run my mouth. Uh, but I will do it on an upcoming show. 206-201-2720 is the number if you want to call with a question or comment. Uh, for that show, keep it to a minute or another show. You can run your mouth as long as you want. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage, www.thestranger.com slash lovecast. If you want to leave a comment after a particular show, please go to humpseattle.com and find out how you can win cash making porn and being part of the Pacific Northwest's awesome porn festival. I think that's it. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.